From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch, coming up on this Wednesday edition. Today, the United States Senate will debate legislation to protect our democracy. And the eyes of history, the eyes of history are upon us. That was Democrat Senate leader Chuck Schumer earlier today setting the stage for the political theater that we will see unfold on the Senate floor this evening. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn is here with the latest on the dangerous efforts underway to create a single party system of government in the United States. Also, President Biden, in an effort to calm Americans' concerns about his failed promise to end the pandemic, announced last month that he was making 500 million at-home coronavirus test kits available to Americans across the country. The source of those kits? You guessed it, China. Speaking of President Biden, he is now about to wrap up a rare press event where he took questions from reporters. I know there's a lot of frustration and fatigue in this country, and we know why. COVID-19, I think it might be a little more than COVID-19, Mr. President. We'll talk with CBN News Chief Political Correspondent David Brody. And tomorrow marks the 100, uh, the one-year anniversary, rather, of the Biden it seems like 100 years, the one-year Biden administration. While the president's allies and the legacy media are, are putting their best spin on the president's failed leadership, the administration has succeeded in reversing many pro-life, pro-family gains made under President Trump. We'll talk with Travis Weber, Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, the 2022 World Watch List reveals the most seismic changes in the history of our research. For the first time ever, Afghanistan is the most dangerous place on the planet to be a Christian, coming in at number one on the World Watch List. More tangible fallout from the failed foreign policies of the Biden administration. That was Dr. David Curry, president and CEO of Open Doors USA, releasing their annual ranking of the world's most dangerous places for Christians earlier today. David joins me later on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're a part of our two-year journey through the Bible, stand on the word. Today's verse comes from Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. Then they said, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul and when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. That was Joseph's brothers when they saw him in Egypt. You know what? When we do not fear and obey God, we tend to live in fear and guilt of everything else. To join us in this two-year journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. In about an hour and a half, the Senate will hold a vote to end debate and uh, for the purpose of uh, voting on H.R. 5746, the so-called Freedom to Vote Act. But the vote is a setup to change Senate rules. This partisan Frankenstein bill that House Democrats slapped together was intended to do one thing, just one thing only, give the Senate Democratic leader a pretext, a pretext to break the Senate. 
When that vote fails, Democrats are then expected to push for a change to Senate rules to require a talking filibuster on bills in the Senate. Joining me now to uh, give us the latest from what is happening in the Senate chamber on Capitol Hill is Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, who serves on four Senate committees, including the Judiciary Committee and the Armed Services Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. It is good to be with you. Thank you. And it really is an interesting day here in D.C. You're right about that. Before we dive into what's taking place there in the Senate chamber, even as we speak, um, your thoughts on President Biden's press conference today? The press conference is pretty much as expected. Uh, He wanted to claim that he has had a magnificent, wonderful year. But indeed, the first year of this Biden administration has been a failure. Joe Biden has turned himself into a lame duck. And as you well know, they realize they've got a very short window. They're going to lose the elections in November. So now they're trying to force feed their radical socialist agenda to the American people, and the American people are standing up and saying, no, we don't want anything to do with this. So it's made for an interesting um, week here in D.C. For almost every question asked, the fingers point to coronavirus as the source of the problem. The president uh, pointing to that as the reason uh, that we're seeing inflation as the supply chain is messed up because of the coronavirus. Um, But one of the issues, and I know you have been on this from the very beginning, you know, last month, the president announcing that he is going to be distributing 500 million home in-home test kits. And then we find out these kits are coming from China. That is right. Uh, When you look at the fact that China will not take any responsibility for COVID-19, when everybody knows, the World Health Organization knows, it started in Wuhan and everyone agrees that it is very likely that it did come from that lab. So those are things where you can say, okay, that is something people recognize. We also know China is carrying out a genocide against the Muslim Uyghurs. We know that they have gone after the Tibetans, the Mongolians, the Hong Kong freedom fighters. We know that they're using slave labor to make product that is sold not only in the U.S., but around the globe. We know that the Chinese Communist Party is intent on global domination by the time we get to the mid-century. Donald Trump held China to account. He did it with sanctions. He did it with trade. He did it with great power competition. They knew that Donald Trump was going to be tough on them. They do not fear Joe Biden. They see him as weak, as feckless. They see him as ineffective in his approach. And so what they see is somebody who's giving them runway to go expand their global reach. Now, China benefited from COVID-19 in a myriad of ways. And now insult to injury, instead of U.S. companies making these test kits that the federal government is buying, who are they buying them from? The communist Chinese. It's just unbelievable, Tony. And I have heard from so many people that they're just outraged that this is a product made in China that they're going to be forced to use to see if they're able to go to work. And if they didn't get vaccinated, they're going to lose their job. And 
again, who benefits the communist Chinese. Well, to, to further spotlight that, last week on the House floor, uh, there's a new rule in place that you have to wear uh, a, a KN95 mask, and they were passed out to members. And on the mask, it says "Made in Made China." In China. Uh, is this? Is this? I mean, I, I, it's 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 absurd on its face. But does this un, does this highlight an underlying problem of our dependence upon China for? You know these types of uh, personal protective devices, and now these uh, t- yes. home in- in-home tests. Actually, prior to COVID nineteen, Senator Menendez and I had filed legislation, and it would require our active pharmaceutical ingredient manufacturing to return to the U.S. because that's a critical supply chain issue for us, and. Then COVID happens, then people realize, you know, there was going to be trouble getting what we needed to fight COVID and uh, to create a, a vaccine, to create therapies and pharmaceuticals. And subsequent to that, you also have other members that have pushed to return manufacturing of this personal protective equipment, of um, other supply chain items that are needed, like semiconductor chips, because we are far too dependent on China. And it's why we have legislation that would return much of this advanced manufacturing to the U.S. It's not going to be quick and easy. It is something that takes years, not months. It takes a couple of months to stand up some of these plants to create pharmaceutical ingredients. It takes a while to retool plants for protective equipment. But the point is this, we have to use this as a realization that we cannot depend on China. Now, this administration is trying to make it a permanent pandemic. Uh, We are trying to say we have to learn how to live with this and be responsible in how we respond. Right. I I just think it's it is um, it's outrageous that a country that like communist China, the the communist Chinese uh, party that was irresponsible in releasing this virus upon the world and and, and not responding in a timely fashion that now they're benefiting from it. It, It's just totally outrageous, especially when it's money coming from the U.S. government. I got to turn now very quickly, uh, Senator, to what's happening in the Senate. Tell us the political theater, what's going to uh, be playing tonight there in the Senate. What's going to happen? All day, you've had senators on the floor. The Democrats are saying, oh, we have to have this election reform bill, which is federalizing of elections. At 6.30, they will call the vote on the cloture motion. It will fail. After that, as you mentioned, they will go to a motion to change the filibuster rule to require a talking filibuster. That is going to fail. And at that point, we anticipate that the argument will end for the current time. But, Tony, it's important that your viewers all realize this is far from over. The Democrats know they're going to lose the midterm elections. Barack Obama had said when he took office he wanted to radically transform this country. They thought Hillary Clinton would win. They'd be able to finish the transformation. Donald Trump won. And they're further from it than ever. And the American people are pushing back. So 
I encourage people to reach out to their elected officials. You don't want the elections to be federalized. You don't want the federal government to have control of your life 24 seven daylight to dark. You don't want them to have control of your children's life. You don't want them to limit your religious freedom. So people need to speak up, stand up. I don't think we want a one-party system in this country, and I think this is what their federal takeover elections would lead to. One final question for you, uh, Senator Blackburn. You know, normally what I've watched historically here is bills don't come to the floor for a vote unless they have the votes lined up because it shows weakness of a party, the party leadership. But we're seeing this repeatedly in the Senate where Chuck Schumer's pushing this forward, knowing they don't have the votes. What's going on here? He is fearful of a primary opponent from AOC. So he's trying to prove to the left that he is going to fight for them every single day. So what he is in essence doing is having his members walk the plank and take these tough votes so that he can protect his political self. And that is what he is up to, trying to prove that he is willing to blow up the Senate, blow up the rule of law, blow up the courts in order to get this socialist agenda through and radically transform this country. All about personal political survival. That is uh, amazing, really is. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, stopping by today. You got it, take care. All right, uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. You know, that's the total opposite of the statesmanship that America once strived for, to have men and women who would do what is right, not what is politically expedient. And we've come to the leadership of this country doing what is politically expedient for themselves, not even their party, just themselves. All right, coming up next, David Brody from CBN joins us to take a look at the president's press conference that's still going on. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, 
marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, the website TonyPerkins.com. After nearly 80 days without holding a uh, press conference, President Biden is uh, standing before the reporters uh, this evening. Uh, Still going on, last I checked during the break. Uh, This is on the eve of his first anniversary in office. Tomorrow will mark uh, one year since I took office. It's been a year of challenges, but it's also been a year of enormous progress. Joining me now to talk about that progress is uh, David Brody, who is the chief political correspondent for CBN News. Uh, David, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. I know you, it was hard to break away from that press conference that's still going on, but give me <laughs> your uh, your overall impression from uh, the president's uh, press conference. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, ha- have I been sleeping for a year? Maybe I have, actually. Uh, I was watching the press conference, watched it all, and President Biden is talking about how he has overperformed. Those, that's the word he used. He, he used the word that there's unity in the country. He says it still needs to get better. He talked about uh, the economy doing great. What? Yeah, I, that was actually the, the quote uh, I wanted to ask you about. Is that the president said he didn't overpromise. We've actually made enormous progress. Um, where is that progress to be found? Well, hold it on for a moment. If you have an hour and a half, I'll think about it, and then I won't have an answer for you, Tony. I, I, I don't know the answer. I, I mean, he went through all of the problems in the economy, and then at the end said we're making progress. And then, so, so he, he's all over the place. I mean, th- th- then he talks about how it's all going to be solved with the Build Back Better program. He wants to first of all, he called the, he used the word recalibrate the Federal Reserve, which I think people just go, it's right over their heads, and they go, who cares about that? But then he talked about the Build Back Better program, and he said, look, if we can just get that passed, it's going to put more mo- more money in the pockets of average Americans. Well, hold on for a second. Let's think that through for a second. So his answer, and this was specifically in his answer to inflation and higher prices. So, so just so we're under- understanding what he's saying, he's saying if there's more money in someone's pocket, that will help them because then they can pay the higher prices. In other words, 
there was no sense that inflation was going to end anytime soon. The higher prices were going to end anytime soon. The supply chain was going to end anytime soon. It was just, we'll give you some more money so you can pay some more money for right. higher prices. He I was mean, asked. Tony, this is crazy, Tony. He was asked specifically about the duration of this inflation, and he did not respond to that question. But what he did say in response to that question was inflation has everything to do with the supply chain. So, it was I'm trying not to be overly critical, but from the start of his opening comments to almost every question, it went back. Every problem is connected to the coronavirus, uh, which, you know, is, is basically beyond our control. Right. And, and here's the other problem. He, he'd never talked about and he was really never asked, but he never talked about vaccine mandates. And, and why is that important? Well, here's why. If you want the poll numbers to increase, if you're President Biden, your, your poll numbers have cratered among independents. Let's forget the right and the left for a moment. Let's talk about in the middle here, these independents. You've gone from 60% approval a year ago with independents to 33% is the latest poll today. You are horrible with independents. Well, the independents have a problem with these unconstitutional vaccine mandates. So if you want to, from a political standpoint at least, figure out a way to get your numbers up and maybe save your presidency, you would think you would address something head on as it relates to the vaccine mandates. I don't think it's all about the economy. I think it's all related, obviously, the supply chain, the vaccine mandates, the economy. But you've got to address this kind of this tyrannical view, if you will, uh, that that you've had, at least address it to some uh, degree to get the independence back with you. He never did that whatsoever. Well, he was also asked the question of, are you going to change your definition of fully vaccinated? Uh, Will you now say that it requires three shots, the two shots plus a booster? And I'm not sure what he actually, how he actually responded. He said, yes, Uh, I mean, but he was just all over the map in responding to that question. I, I want to turn, David, before we run out of time, to foreign policy front, because that's where, you know, we don't focus a lot on it, but it's quite significant, I think, especially right now with what we see happening uh, with Russia. Uh, he said that if, uh, you know, if Russia makes this uh, invasion that, uh, that, you know, they're saying that they may do, he said he will put on him Uh, sanctions like he's never seen before. Does this administration, in wake of its foreign policy debacles like Afghanistan, really carry a a big stick with uh, countries like Russia, North Korea and China? They they really don't, Tony. I mean, so Biden can talk about sanctions all he wants. And these uh, I feel like he was Trump for a moment. You know, these big, beautiful sanctions, the biggest you've ever seen. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, is that there's no respect. Putin doesn't respect Biden. And, you know, that's the name of the game, Tony, in international foreign policy. I mean, if you if you lose the the respect and and you don't feel like that person is going to do much of anything, well, then then you're done. And I'm not quite sure sanctions are are the answer at this point. I mean, obviously, clearly they are to a degree. But Donald Trump did plenty of sanctions against Putin at the time. So I'm not sure sanctions are going to work with Putin. I think his mind is made up and it'll be interesting to see how this administration uh, does respond uh, looking at these press conferences, what do you think about the small number of uh, press availabilities or press conferences that this president had held? 
Well, this White House is clearly protecting him. Uh, and, you know, I'll be honest with you, if, I'm, if, if I was part of the Biden administration and this just in, Tony, I'm not. But if I was, I'd be protecting him, too. I mean, you know, he's his own worst enemy. And don't take my word for it. Ask Joe Biden. I mean, he even admits he's his own worst enemy. So uh, it's smart for the for the Biden White House to do this at this point. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought the, the questions today to Biden uh, were okay. They weren't great. Uh, they could have been much better. There was a lot on Russia. There was an interesting question there by uh, Kirsten Welker from NBC at the end, asking Biden specifically about that Georgia speech he gave the other day that was very divisive uh, when he asked people to choose between are you a Bull Con, Bull, Bull Con or George Wallace, you know, that that type of thing, and basically implying that if you if you're against his voting rights bill, you're a racist. And uh, he, he said, no, he wasn't trying to say that. But then he basically went ahead and repeated exactly what he said in Georgia. So uh, that was interesting. David Brody, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Appreciate all you and CBN do. You bet, Tony. All right, uh, David Brody. To find out more about CBN, our partners over there, go to uh, TonyPerkins.com and you can follow the links over. Coming up, with tomorrow being the one-year anniversary of Joe Biden's presidency, it's a good time to review some of the actions that the president has taken on the issues that matter, the heart and soul issues. Stick around for that conversation. We'll be talking with uh, Travis Weber from the Family Research Council. Next, don't go away. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Also, when we uh, have different guests on, you uh, can find contact information for them 
there at TonyPerkins.com. All right, it was nearly a year ago after the inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States. The headlines from the legacy media read, Biden, unity is the path. Biden vows to mend nation. Unity, not division. And end this uncivil war. But it's clear after one year in office that President Biden has done more to really hurt this country than help it. And it's more than just the big news grabbing items like immigration, where two million people have been detained. That doesn't count the ones who got, came across. Afghanistan, jab or job mandates and massive spending with record setting inflation. There are other issues that are quietly being done to undo many of the pro-life pro-family gains made during the Trump years. Joining me now to go through some of those actions this president and his administration have taken on family issues, religious liberty issues, and life issues is Travis Weber, Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Travis, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Now, before we get started, just want everybody to know, you can actually find a copy of uh, this document so you can see it for yourself. It's, it's all dated. It has the information. It's documented. You can go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. So, you know, there's a, we were just talking about uh, earlier in the program, you know, the president claiming a lot of success. It hasn't had very, it's had very little success on the big ticket items that he's been pushing that the press has been covering. But his administration has been successful in pushing some of their leftist agenda items that uh, the far left cares about. They have, unfortunately, Tony, but that's why we have to track it and make sure people uh, are aware of these. And, and he doesn't get to escape unscathed from the tension that he should be getting on these issues. It's interesting thinking about the unity focus, you know, there was a quote from about a year ago where he proclaimed to be a unifier. You know, he's, he's trying to hit that theme. When you look at what he's doing on life, family, religious freedom, the social issues, the issues that Americans care about, he's promoting radical policies. These are not unifying positions he's taking. His administration has been more radical, more money to abortion, for instance, than any previous administration. More, more, more than Barack Obama? More than Barack Obama. In the 400 millions, when you look at the unrestricted funds and the COVID relief packages, He's taken that position that we're going to let this money go. to. Now, was that accidental or intentional? It's intentional because he knows he's trying to appease the far, the radicals. And frankly, he himself, you know, he believes some of what he's putting out, but he's also representing a position politically that you have radical policies driving it. Now, one of the things that does pop in the media occasionally, like we saw just last week, where they're going after a Christian college over transgender policies. We've seen this, uh, I would have to say, abnormal fixation on advancing transgenderism uh, in our schools, in the military. Is that borne out in the the facts that you've put together? It is. I think that's uh, one of the things you you, uh, observe when looking at the pattern of what he's done. There's it's it's bizarre. It doesn't it's not in proportion to reality and what most people are concerned about. I mean, look, in a year, we documented 93 actions that he's taken to roll back protection for life, family and religious freedom. And these are major policies or pronouncements, not every little thing. You know, there's a lot more that is under that umbrella. 93. But we have 56 of those on the family, religious liberty, including the sexuality issues. And there are a ton of steps he's taken to push that. I mean, the major ones early in his administration, rolling back restrictions in the military that promoted common sense, relying on a DOD study that said do not allow 
uh, transgender military service members to to enter and serve openly without restrictions or examination of their their status. Rolling that back, uh, putting which cost millions of dollars. Uh, that is diverted from military readiness. Right. I mean, you're spending a ton, and aside from the money, the focus on that, the attention, right. people spending time right. training in these areas, we, right. we've talked about. So it, there, it is an ab, it's sad. There's just such an abnormal fixation on these things because it diverts resources from real problems in America. So this is, a, this is kind of that administrative state that many people don't see, that the press doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to, that's done through executive order and policy through the executive branch. That, that's very true. And if I'm, I'm looking through in this document, the first action we have listed for on the family side, yeah. January 20th of last year, issue an executive order to not per, to prohibit discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation based on the Bostock Supreme Court ruling. Day one, that order gets issued, but then it spreads throughout all federal agencies. It works its way down, whether explicitly or implicitly applied. It kind of works into the seams. And, and unfortunately, historically, what happens when you have a Republican administration that would come in after a Democratic administration like this, they sometimes will push pause on the implementation of these rules. But very rarely do we see an administration like we saw in the Trump administration that actually reverses and um, removes these types of executive orders. That's true. If you look at kind of the the uh, where the goalposts are, uh, you know, when a Republican comes in, they're often not able to move them totally back to where they should be. And the number of factors here, personnel, but the the administrative state's well, interest. Well, will. I would say most of it's political will. Will and having the right people in right. place, which relates to will because you have right. any backbone to put the right and people that, in And place. that's where I have to give it to President Trump. He's the only Republican I've seen in my adult life that's been willing to undo the aggressive agenda of the left. And I think that's why he was so hated. He was. And a lot of what we tracked, what Biden did, it rolled back President Trump's good work in these areas. He rolled back the... Um, uh, failed to hold an inter- a religious right. freedom ministerial. Right. Uh, well, and, uh, and the whole executive order on religious freedom within the federal government. Yep. Uh, I hear music. Okay. That means we're uh, about out of time. All right. Uh, we're going to f- spend more time talking about this. In fact, on Friday, we're going to take a look at uh, the life issues uh, in particular. But this speaks to commitments we need from candidates in the future to address not just the big ticket items that everybody sees, but these things. Don't go away, folks. We're coming back. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. 
Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. And uh, in that last segment, we just about ran out of time. Uh, we did run out of time, actually. Uh, I, I want to, again, encourage you to, to, uh, to take a look at this document yourself that tracks the Biden administration on life, family, and religious freedom, the issues that we focus on at the Family Research Council. And they're all documented. So this is not, uh, it's not spin. It's not, uh, you know, uh, hearsay. It is, uh, it's date and time of the actions they took to advance a leftist agenda undermining the sanctity of human life, uh, the sacredness of religious freedom, and the family. And so I, and, and human sexuality is rolled into that. So I encourage you to take a look at this and see how out of, uh, as disproportionate in the push for the radical LGBT transgender agenda that this administration is pushing, even more so than the, than the Barack Obama administration. So you can find this at frc.org or go to TonyPerkins.com and you can uh, download it. Okay, since 1992, the Christian Persecution Watchdog Group, Open Doors USA, has annually published its World Watch List, an extensive report ranking the top 50 countries where persecution and discrimination of Christ followers is most severe. And I will tell you, it is a a well-documented, well-researched report, which I use both here at the Family Research Council, and it's one that I even look at as a commissioner on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Well, earlier today, Open Doors released its 2022 World Watch List, and the data, they say, presents the biggest ranking shakeup in the World Watch List history. That's significant. Joining me now to tell us what their latest extensive on-the-ground research has revealed 
is Open Doors USA CEO, my good friend, Dr. David Curry, who hosts today's report release. Uh, Dr. Curry, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. All right. I'm afraid once we get into this, I may not stop. So before we jump into it, briefly tell our viewers and listeners how uh, they can get a copy of this list. Well, opendoorsusa.org has the stories, the data, the prayer list on how you can pray for these various countries. It really describes each individual context, because when you look at these 50 countries, some of them are Islamic regimes, others are democracies. Uh, sometimes it's a squeeze where people are slowly having their rights cut off. It's like a strangulation. And then other times it's like a bomb went off. Sometimes literally it's like a, ma a major smash. So we, we really measure across six different spheres of life. What's it like for the individual? What's it like on the national level? What's the violence level? And and so I think it's a, it's a great resource for people who either want to pray through it, want to preach their way through it. We have sermon outlines, all manner of things, so that Christians and others can be informed about what's happening to the body of Christ and what's happening to religious freedom for all people everywhere. Because it's really, I think, the canary in the coal mine, when you see what happens to Christians— there, it's usually a tipping point for other chaos that's going to reach into economic, into terrorism, into other issues that we will face in the future. Yeah, absolutely. What we have found uh, globally is that where you have religious freedom, you have greater social stability, uh, economic activity, which then is less of a problem for the rest of the world. Now, as you talk about those six sectors before we get into the list, uh, you, uh, in terms of the research you do, you actually have people on the ground in many of these places. So you're, you're getting information. Now, this is not just a compilation of news sources. You're gaining firsthand information as to what's happening on the ground in these countries. This is a grassroots study. It begins with Christians in each of these regions. And then we have uh, researchers and surveys we do at a higher level. And then we analyze it. We sort it for people so that others can look at it as well. We present it to the State Department, to other researchers. But it has to start at the grassroots level. Too many of these studies start with people who are at bishops and cardinals, and they're living somewhere other than the place where the impact is happening. And we want to know how we can support Christians on the ground in places like Afghanistan and North Korea and Somalia, India, all the countries on the world watch this. So you got to start with the grassroots. Now, in uh, 20 years, this is the biggest shakeup, you've said, this year that you've seen in the list. Explain What's well, North Korea, is, uh, North Korea has been at the top of the world watch list because here you have a communist system, a dictator. They control all the means that make life possible, your economy, your food, the borders, the police, neighborhood watches. It's old school Soviet communist system, but with all the modern sort of uh, tools available. So North Korea has been at the top. Now, all of a sudden, for the first time in 20 years, we have a new player on the scene at the top of the list. Afghanistan is number one. And what has happened is that Afghanistan had been number two for many years, sometimes moving to number three and Somalia uh, coming up on the list. This is a list of perpetrators. There's no honor in this list. 
but what has happened since August is that the Taliban has made a concerted effort to track Christian, prominent Christian leaders, to try to uncover the network of Christians that exist within the country. Some Christians have fled. We all know that story and thankful for those who've helped to make that happen. But some exist, and I think that's salt and light in that community, those that are brave enough to stay, and yet they're, tr they're being tracked. So I think it's safe to say we believe that every Christian who's still in Afghanistan, and there are thousands and thousands of them, are either in hiding or on the run. And that has raised Afghanistan to number one on the world watch list. I mean, uh, David, isn't that a clear example of where U.S. foreign policy has an implication for religious freedom and the persecution of Christians? It clearly does. It's hard to, to imagine how we overlook this. Afghanistan was number two because the Taliban controlled about 70% of the country, even up until their takeover of the government. And we know what they were doing in those regions, these rural areas. Many people were fleeing the Taliban to come into Kabul and others for relative freedom. It wasn't great in Kabul. Everybody knows that story. But it went from a city of 500,000 people to 5 million people because they were fleeing the Taliban. So to imagine that we thought in some scenario that they were going to be fair and equal-handed rulers in, in these major cities is... Uh, laughable and really quite unbelievable. So right, what's happened we, since then we knew is they're, what, they're tracking people. We knew what was happening in those areas where they had control. And, and they were a, an entity that had control over, as you said, a large portion of the country. So this should be, uh, should be, be no surprise as to what they're doing now that they have control over everything. One of the takeaways has got to be that we've got to see what happens when we allow countries like this, not, I'm not just saying the United States, but free Western countries who believe in freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience. When we let countries and regions fall into chaos, you, you have so many ripple effects. If you look at the top of the watch list, you have Yemen, Somalia, Afghanistan. Eritrea. These are all largely failed states, which are totally in chaos, and they are the launching grounds of terrorism around the world. This study focuses on religious freedom, particularly for Christians, but it does have implications for everybody else as well. So, David, beyond the, the shakeup with Afghanistan becoming number one in terms of persecution of Christians, what other uh, surprises did you see in this year's research? Well, one of the takeaways, and we've talked about this in previous years, is this expansion of jihadi terrorism in the African belt, what's called the Sahel region, that middle belt across the African continent. There's a clash of civilizations going on there, and its epicenter is Nigeria, the north of Nigeria, 13 Sharia law states. And we have been saying for years, it looks like it's going to become very familiar to us, like ISIS when they took over Iraq and Syria, you now have major issues in Cameroon, Chad, Niger, Burkina Faso. These are all rising on the list. It's the same problem. You have the Fulani extremists, you have the Boko Haram, ISIS-related, and they are targeting Christians. Now, 
in some outlets, you'll hear people say, well, the Fulani are herdsmen. They're, they're, they're just ancient farmers. This is not the case. They have an ideology. They're not targeting everybody. They're targeting Christians who are living in villages or, or towns together. They're burning these down. They're kidnapping women. They're, they're kidnapping children. A thousand children in Nigeria kidnapped last year, Christian children, a thousand by Boko Haram or the Fulani. So this is a major issue, and it's now bleeding over into what they view as a caliphate, what we see as a massive regional issue that is going to continue to grow unless Nigeria and these central governments quickly get a hold and try to find a way to protect churches, these soft targets, these Christian villages which are being targeted. We know where they're going to try to attack. Right. Why will the, the Nigerian government not step up and support with their military and police? It's a question well, we need answers to. And, and this is another example of U.S. foreign policy in which Nigeria had previously, under the previous administration, been recognized or designated as a country of particular concern because of the persecution of Christians and other religious minorities. The government, uh, you know, ignoring that. Now, this administration removing that, uh, first time ever we've seen a country that was on that list of country of particular concerns being completely removed from uh, the list in the over 20 years that that's, uh, that, that's been a part of the State Department. Um, that has the potential, as you said, to spill over beyond Nigeria, and with that being the most populous country in Africa, what eventually could happen on the African continent? Well, I mean, there are major resources, both uh, human resources and and uh, economic resources in that region. What you're going to see is you have a very young population uh, demographically in the in in the African continent and in these key cities. You have massive corruption. You have a strengthening terrorist groups. This is going to be a major problem. They're going to have continued success in recruiting young people. They're going to take on mafia-like enterprises, taking over key resources of the region. And you're going to have a very similar case where this becomes a global threat. And I'm afraid we're already at that tipping point. I hope not, but we need to do something soon. Let's turn now to, to China. They continue to be on the list. Where does China fall on your watch list? Well, China's number 17 on our list, and that's not because their threat is to be diminished. The, the violence, the outward violence, is not the same as you might see in Nigeria. But they have the most sophisticated system of persecution. And I describe it as a high-tech noose. It's like it's slowly choking. Since President Xi consolidated his power, he's found a way to use technology, surveillance. They're watching, centralizing all of the cameras in every place you go, they're centralizing that information. They're not having just eyes and ears on what happens. They're using artificial intelligence so that it knows when Tony goes to church. And then, therefore, they're lowering your score. This we knew. But every year they continue to add new layers to it. And it's just choking and choking and choking uh, faith, uh, a faith experience in China. So they shrink the churches. They force them to break up into small groups. Then they force them to go online. Then they monitor them online. Then they shut down their online experiences. We think 80%, we estimate that 80% of the churches who met in commercial buildings are now forced into small groups. 
and forced online, and then they're monitored. And they are always shut down if it's more than a couple of dozen people. So this is like this continued diminishment. Then they add new laws just a few weeks ago. As you know, your viewers probably are aware as well, where they now have made it so that nobody can sell a Bible online unless they agree to let the Chinese Communist Party censor that Bible. Soon, 100 million Christians, Tony, will only have access to Bibles that the Chinese government has either edited or approved. And you can imagine, there's, I can't, I can't imagine that people of faith would not be horrified by that thought. Right. Uh, this David, is the choking that's happening. Almost out of time, I got to ask you this final question for our viewers, our listeners. What can Christians in the United States be doing to help our brothers and sisters? We have to be people of prayer. Secondly, we have to be people who learn the lessons. Data is important. It's the next battlefield. Let's see what's happening with China, but let's learn when these big four uh, data companies want to cut off preachers. You're, uh, where do you post your sermons? All these questions are going to come to you on your front door. So let's step up and speak out for the rights of people everywhere, whether it's online or in person, to meet in community as followers of Jesus. I think that's important. Share these stories. We know that we can't stop persecution, but we must speak out for people who don't have a voice and help them where we can. There are projects, there are things we can do. We have to be united about this in a way that we haven't been before. Uh, 100% agree, and we fully support the work of Open Doors USA. Uh, David, doing a great job. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, I would encourage you to support ministries like this. They're not only tracking this, but they're actually helping Christians on the ground. Uh, there are other ministries. This is one uh, my family and I support because I, I know David and I believe in the work that they do. And folks, I want to encourage you to pray, but also speak out. Use our freedom while we have it to protect the freedoms of others. Someday we may need someone to speak out for us. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.